Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Welcome once again to another episode of the Sports Beat with Richard Holridge. I'm so excited to be here. Want to remind all of you that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Newton, Georgia. And we are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar Grill and Go Jump and Slide Inflatables. I'm going to have my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, on the show for the Daily Dash. But we have a great show for you because on the show is my former co-host of the Up All Night Show, Brad Page, as he is going to join the show talking about that Tennessee LSU game. We've got a preview the third Saturday in October. Should be a lot of fun. So let's get right into the show. We had a Monday night football game that went down to the wire. Did the Raiders make the right decision by going for two? And if you had Travis Kelsey on your fantasy team, you had a great day. You got the baseball divisional playoffs today. The Atlanta Braves sitting Max Freed to the mound to take on their division rival, the Philadelphia Phillies. And this is also a rematch of the 1993 NLCS. And the Columbus River Dragons are in action this Thursday night for an exhibition game against the Mississippi Sea Wolves. I'm excited that the River Dragons are back. Let's go ahead and get right into the show. That Monday night football game, the Kansas City Chiefs was able to beat the Las Vegas Raiders 30-29. to And the Chiefs were down 17 to nothing. but it doesn't matter with Patrick Mahomes. He is so methodical with touchdown drives. And it's like a machine. That's why your offense has to be on point because you don't want to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. Travis Kelsey, he only had seven receptions for 25 yards, but he was the prime red zone target, and I don't understand why the Raiders didn't double him. But the Chiefs win the game 30-29. to It's funny. The Raiders actually had a shot at winning that game. They had the ball last, down 30-29. to They went for two. They didn't get it. The Chiefs punt the football away. But the big controversy in the first half was that roughing the passer call, and this is starting to get crazy. These are not roughing the passer calls. I think they are overreacting and something's got to be done. There has to be a letter of the law on what is roughing the passer. The Kansas City Chiefs are 4-1. and one. The Las Vegas Raiders go to 1-4. and four. And the Chiefs get ready for a big showdown next week against the Buffalo Bills. This is the game of the year. This is the game that everybody circled when the NFL schedule release came out because of that divisional playoff game between the Chiefs and the Bills last year that caused the league to change the overtime rules. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be exciting. Also, the Atlanta Falcons are hosting the San Francisco 49ers at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Kyle Shanahan returns to Atlanta for the first time since he was offensive coordinator in Atlanta from 2015 to 2016. He was responsible for making Matt Ryan an MVP, and he led a high-powered offense that went to the Super Bowl. Let's think of the positives here. They destroyed the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game. They played a New England Patriots team that was favored, and they had all the experience in the world to win that Super Bowl. Got to think positives here. The fact that they got to the Super Bowl was an incredible accomplishment. Can we just get past the 28-3 for just one second? I know he is probably going to be booed. I know he's probably going to be taunted. There's probably going to be fans in the stands with 28-3 signs. But let's appreciate what Kyle Shanahan did for the Atlanta Falcons. The 49ers actually took over Carolina. There was nothing but red jerseys in Charlotte. And I really won't be able to tell on the TV screen if the 49ers take over Atlanta because they both wear red. 
I actually went to a 49ers-Falcons game. I've been to plenty of Falcons-49ers games, including the 2013 NFC Championship game. I was wearing my Frank Gore jersey and got harassed by a Falcons fan. They're relentless. The 49ers are favored by six, but I think if Nick Bosa doesn't play, I think the Falcons have a shot at winning this game. Because what do the 49ers do? They play great defense, but they struggle against mobile quarterbacks. And this Falcons defense is decent. I think that Grady Jarrett could get pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. But the matchup I really want to see is A.J. Terrell versus Debo Samuel. That's going to be something. All right, it's the divisional playoffs. The Atlanta Braves taking on the Philadelphia Phillies this afternoon at Truitts Park. And on the mound for the Atlanta Braves is the reliable Max Freed. This is who you want in a game one when it comes to the playoffs. I cannot wait for this game. It's going to be Max Freed going up against Ranger Suarez. And the Braves locked up Spencer Strider to a long-term deal. Is Spencer Strider going to make this postseason roster? I'm going to have Justin Dale on the show tomorrow, and we are going to recap game one. And we're going to take a sneak peek at some of these other games. Kyle Wright is going to go in game two for the Braves, and... The Braves haven't decided who their Game 3 starter is going to be. But the Phillies have some good pitchers that can match up with the Braves, like Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. It's very important that the Braves get Game 1. You got Max Freed on the mound. You've got to get Game 1. All right, so I just want to remind all my listeners, I've been doing this podcast for a while. This is the exclusive podcast when it comes to local sports in Columbus Going to talk River Dragons on this podcast. They're taking on the Mississippi Seawolves at the Columbus Civic Center on Thursday night for an exhibition game. I've had Jay Krupp on the show. I've had the general manager, Scott Brand, hoping to get some more River Dragons on the show, including the play-by-play announcer, Tom Callahan. But let's go ahead and talk about some of the local news in Columbus that's been going on. The Columbus Rapids just signed Ethan Allure, so that, that's another top goal scorer from last season that's returning to the Rapids men's team, Brandon Cervantes and Ethan Allure. Teammates that have such great chemistry because they play at Point University. And the women's team got a huge signing last week. I didn't talk about this on the show, but they get golden boot winner for the NISL Carly Banks who played for the Rome Gladiators last season. This is a huge signing, because I remember one game that Rome was playing Memphis and Carly Banks scored four goals. She is an electric goal scorer. Oh, man, if they could bring back Olivia Gerald, that team is going to be unstoppable. I mean, I don't know what the the league looks like now with two brand-new expansion teams, but, yeah, I'm going to be talking a lot of Rapids on this podcast as well. You voted for it on Twitter. The high school game of the week, it's no surprise that it's Central and Auburn. Auburn is the number one team in the state of Alabama. They are going to Garrett Harrison Stadium this Friday night to take on the Central Red Devils, who are 6-2. and two. And the winner of this game is in the driver's seat for the region and could be hosting multiple home playoff games because that's just the way the seating is lined up. I'm excited about everything that's going on in the world of sports. We'll be right back. I'm going to have Corey Bank on for the Daily Dash. We're going to recap this Monday Night Football game. You don't want to go anywhere. We'll be back with Corey. Yeah. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Dash. I got my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, here to talk about that crazy Monday Night Football game between the Las Vegas Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs. Corey, how are you doing? Doing phenomenal, Richard. All right. I was watching this game because I had a player on the Raiders, Matt Hollins, who was on my fantasy team. I was 10 points behind the guy that I'm playing. He beat me in fantasy football this week because Max Hollins was targeted four times and got zero fantasy points. That's the last time I'm playing a fantasy player that's giving me zero fantasy points. I had a vested interest in watching that game. I mean, that's why fantasy football is so great because it allows just the casual fan to watch any random NFL football game because of fantasy. 
It is true, Richard. Okay, so let's talk about this game because Kansas City looks like a machine. It doesn't matter if they're down 17 nothing, 28 to nothing, 35 to nothing. You punt the football away, and if Patrick Mahomes gets in a rhythm, he is going to drive and score touchdowns. I've seen many times where he got into a third and long situation. Patrick Mahomes just stepped back into the pocket, passing it to Marquise Valdez Scandy. And he, you know, he's got receivers, even though they don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. The Chiefs have all these receivers. Travis Kelsey was targeted in the red zone. He got four touchdowns. How are the Chiefs just doing this? I mean, they're able to just come back from any deficit. They're able to just score at will. Okay, so pretty much Patrick Mahomes has this innate ability to be able to survey the field, look at defenses, and see exactly what's going on and seeing what the soft spots are. Coach Andy Reid has coached him very well in regards to being able to have uh, changing the play at the line and being able to get see the different looks and they communicate very well. That's for one. And the fact that Patrick Mahomes spends extra hours of watching film and knows exactly what the reads are in that regard. And Patrick Mahomes, at any point in time, I think he changes his arm angle when he throws the football a lot. In this last game last night, he went 29 of 42 for about 290 yards plus and threw four touchdowns. No interceptions. I mean, those stats in itself are pretty amazing numbers. And like you said, Richard, his intended receiver in the game, Marquez Valtez-Scantling, he had over 90 yards receiving on about four catches. And they were able to dial up the running game pretty decently in this game, Richard. Uh, with They had McKinnon. McKinnon was the leading rusher. And uh, Nick Bolton had a great game. And when the defense had to make the stops necessary to give Patrick Mahomes the time to come back in this ball game, that's what mattered. Their defense stiffened up a lot of part of the ball game, and that was difference there. Now, on the Raiders' side, Derek Carr played a very decent day. He was able to make the necessary reads, step up into the pocket, and make the throws when the game was on line and throughout the game. But something that didn't happen was that this Raiders defense buckled when it came down to, like you said, the last latter part of the football game, and that's because of their inconsistency of their pass rush. They weren't getting enough penetration in the backfield to have Patrick Mahomes to make the reads falsely, and so they made them pay. Now, running back Josh Jacob, my goodness, Richie had over 120 yards on the ground, had a very solid day rushing the football. He was able to break tackles when he needed to, slip guys out, and really get into the second level. And the thing is, in this game, a guy that Derek Carr was able to rely on is Devontae Adams. Once again, Devontae Adams had a crazy game, over 100 yards receiving, and that's what really kept them in this ball game, Richard, per se. They didn't have a lot else besides this, but this Raiders team, they have a common trait that they're unable to finish ball games. As Derek Carr got the touchdown to Devontae Adams to go down 30-29, to and all the Raiders had to do was just kick the extra point, they would have been tied, but what did you think about that decision to go for two? The reason why they wanted to do that, Richard, is to shift the momentum of the football game. They knew that it was possibly on their side. But in the end of the day, you do have to take the share points and be able to give yourself an opportunity maybe to live the fight another day. And their defense did the job. The Chiefs punted the football back to the Raiders, and the Raiders had a chance with the ball down 30-29 to 29 to get into field goal range for Carlson to kick the game-winning field goal. They just couldn't quite make it. They went for it on fourth down, and then that was the ball game. When you have a scenario like that, it's coaches in this league. There's no right or wrong answer, but what's going to happen is that they're going to have to answer questions when they go up in the podium at any given time. So there's some times in the game where you do go for it. Then there's some times in the game where you don't. And 
the discrepancy is in this this league that we call the NFL, Richard. It almost seems like you look like a hero. You look like a dud. You look sometimes even a part that you don't look like you're going doing things aggressive enough. This league always has a connotation, and it doesn't seem like there's a right or wrong answer. Well, it looked like they got into field goal range as that pass to Devontae Adams by Derek Carr got them at the 39-yard line for Kansas City, but the call was reversed. It was an incomplete pass. It set up a fourth and one, and then a questionable decision, a deep pass by Derek Carr to go for it on fourth down. I know they didn't have any more timeouts left, so you can't really use the middle of the field because you have to spike the football, and then you might have a shot at a field goal. But at that moment, did you agree with the play call? Should they have done a, a sideline pass to try to get into field goal range with no timeouts left? Look, I'm not the right person to ask this question to. I will say that the play call itself, no. It was not a great play call to make. You should, it's not something you should have done. You should have tried to got the sure yardage and tried to uh, maybe do a, do a run and then, and then get your team on the field really quickly. Now that it's a play call, the play call itself. No, I don't agree with that play call. All right, Corey. And we'll have plenty of time on the daily dash on Thursday to do our NFL picks, but this is the game of the year coming up on Sunday chiefs and bills. It's a rematch of that crazy divisional playoff game where it went to overtime. The league actually changed the overtime rules because of that. Buffalo never had a chance to touch the football in overtime because Kansas City marched down the field and scored a touchdown. But it was just a back-and-forth game. Lead changes. You had two MVP-caliber quarterbacks, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, going back and forth. This is what fans want to see. And I believe they're going to get a ball game on Sunday. It's not going to disappoint. It truly isn't. I mean, I personally think you have two of the best quarterbacks in the game, duking it out, and you have two very relevant defenses. Those Buffalo Bills, one of the best rushing defenses in the game. You can't really run the football, so it's going to make this Kansas City offense one-dimensional in that regard and has to beat them with with, uh, the fact that they know it's going to be, I would say, probably 80% of the play calls are going to be passed against them. Because of that reason alone, now on the other side of the fence, the Chiefs have not faced a quarterback all year who is very similar to their own. On the tangible traits, Josh Allen, 6'5 plus, and is a bigger player. But there's something similar between these two quarterbacks. It's the fact that they can change the arm angle. It's the fact that they can run throughout the field, going east and west, and being able to keep the plays alive and then make plays on the run. The game's in slow motion for both these quarterbacks. I think personally, in this game, besides Tom Brady, these two quarterbacks in particular, Richard, are the most intelligent quarterbacks they have in this league. And I'm looking forward to it. Corey, as always, thank you so much for joining the show for the Daily Dash. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow as we'll make college football picks. Hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. It's always a pleasure. All right. That was my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. We'll be right back with my former co-host of the Up All Night Show, Brad Page, as he is going to talk some Tennessee football. I cannot wait for that. We'll be right back with Brad. Welcome back to the show. On the show today, my former co-host from the Up All Night Show. Back when Tennessee was relevant, early 2000s, we had a show called The Up All Night Show at Freed Harmon University. And really, Brad, we're going to talk about Tennessee because the last time that Tennessee was a top five program competing for national championships, it was the early 2000s. And you and I were both at Freed Harmon University. Brad, what's going on? Oh, man. Well, Richard, uh, thank you for letting me be on here. It's a beautiful day here in Tennessee. And hopefully uh, Saturday will also be a beautiful day. Everybody's just getting really excited about uh, this upcoming game, for sure, man. A lot of happy Tennessee fans, for sure. And hopefully they'll continue to be happy and everything. It's really exciting times, man. Brad, if Tennessee beats Alabama on Saturday, are you going to see Rocky Top all night long? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to lose my voice. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, for sure. It just be unbelievable um, if they do uh, beat them. And, and definitely, um, you know, this year, uh, they really have a great chance of doing it. A lot, a lot of the games they played in the past, uh, you, you know, Alabama's really got the upper hand. But this year, I mean, um, you know, Tennessee has a lot of confidence going into this game. Um, and it's going to be a phenomenal game. I'm really just looking forward to it, man. The Tennessee game against LSU. It was the first time they beat LSU since 2005. I did not see that coming. 40-13, to 13, completely dominant over the LSU Tigers. And Hendon Hooker looks like the early favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Right now, Tennessee is ranked sixth. They take on Alabama. That's ranked third. I know that Alabama has a lot of confidence, especially if Bryce Young is going to play in that game. But I still like Tennessee's chances. Brad, this is the year that Tennessee has to beat Alabama because they're playing in Knoxville. This is Tennessee's best team that I have seen since the Philip Fulmer years. If they beat Alabama, are they a contender for the college football playoff? Absolutely. Absolutely they are. Um, they are if they beat Alabama, but also um, a couple of weeks down the road, they're, you know, they need to beat Georgia as well. But, I mean, given them, they will have a lot of confidence, you know, if they do beat Alabama, uh, you know, definitely going up in the rankings getting ready for that showdown in Athens with Georgia. And if they, if they can beat Georgia, you know, you know they're definitely going to be uh, a playoff contender. But a one-loss team can definitely get into the playoffs, especially if they are able to get to Atlanta. But first, they got to get by Alabama, and they got to get by Georgia. So like you said, this is the year. This is the time. You know, we all know um, that they're capable of doing it. Um, especially with you know the high power offense, and 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 um, surprisingly the defense is starting to come around too, as we saw in the LSU game. So um, this is definitely the year where they can do it. If Tennessee loses to Alabama and they lose to Georgia, but they finish the year ten and two, and they make it to a New Year's Six bowl game, is that a successful season in Josh Heupel's second year? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You would take that, yeah. right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, um, beginning of the year, I really thought they were going to go nine and three or ten and two at the worst, you know, and, you know, it's still possible for them to do that. Um, but yeah, with all the heartache that a lot of Tennessee fans have been through the last 10 years of just losing season after losing season, not even making a bowl game, not even competing with most of the, you know, uh, SEC teams. This would be just a phenomenal. I um, mean, I mean, it, it already has been a phenomenal year. And yes, if he if he does make it to let's say the Sugar Bowl, I mean that would be um, amazing. Definitely under Hopple's uh, uh, career. And of course, they have the right athletic director in place, Danny White, and Josh Heupel in his second year. They are ranked sixth. The last time they were ranked this high, two thousand five. Brad, they were at AP preseason. Number three, unfortunately, they finished five and six that year. Then the last time they won 10 games was 2007. They actually represented the SEC East in the SEC Championship. I remember that year they actually drubbed Georgia in Knoxville and they were able to take on LSU, but that was the year LSU won the national championship. They were the first national championship team with two losses, but -hmm. it's been a while. It's been a while since... Tennessee has beaten Alabama. It's 2006. It was the Mike Shula year. That was the year that Mike Shula got fired, and then Joe Kynes was the interim head coach, and then his halftime speech went viral. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2006 seems like such a long time ago. Like you said, Mike Shula was the coach. Uh, Eric Ainge was the quarterback for Tennessee. Uh, Then they still had Arian Foster. They had Jason Swain. Robert Meacham. I mean, you know, they had a great, you know, a, a great team for sure then, but it, it has just been too long. Tennessee losing to Alabama, you know, for 16 straight, you know, years. Um, I mean, it is definitely time, as as most Tennessee fans know, this is the time to finally 
you know, put it behind them. Hopefully they can end the streak uh, Saturday. It's very possible. But it just seems like it's been forever since they've beaten Alabama. But hopefully that can change soon. Third Sunday in October, it's the 3.30 kickoff on CBS. The biggest Tennessee-Alabama game in over 17 years. I can't remember the last time that these two teams were in the top 10. It's been a while. I mean, I'm looking, you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe early 2000s, the last time Tennessee and Alabama were both in the top 10. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that even when Tennessee in 2007 was in the top 10, and I thought at that time, Alabama, Nick Saban was first year head coach. He went seven and six. I mean, right. So it, it's been a while. I'm, I'm just looking here, Tennessee. Okay, they were both in the top 25 in 2002. Uh, let's see, 2001. That was the year Tennessee should have went to the national championship. Yeah. That They lost to LSU in the SEC championship game. If they would have won the SEC championship game, they would have played Miami in the national championship. I almost can guarantee you that, Brad. Right, right, for sure, for sure. Their yeah. only blemish, the hobnail boot. Trying to, I'm not trying to give you some bad memories i'm not trying to give you some bad memories brad there, remember i was a tennessee fan in the early 2000s i was a student at freed Harmon with no ties to georgia trust me i was rooting for the vols i didn't realize i was going to move to georgia in 2006 i mean who is georgia i mean back then in the late 90s their quarterback was quincy carter jim donnan was their head coach i mean that i had no ties to georgia and then this unranked georgia team comes out of nowhere and beats Tennessee in Knoxville, twenty-six to twenty-four. I mean, that was just shocking. It was a heartbreaker. It was such a heartbreaker how it ended. And, and yeah, I mean, it's still it still it's a bad taste in most uh, uh, Tennessee fans' uh, mouths and everything. But like you said, yeah, that was a phenomenal team uh, uh, for sure. Like you said, yeah, they could uh, definitely uh, uh, gone to play Miami for sure uh, if, if they would have gotten past the. Uh, LSU, but they did beat uh, Michigan uh, in the Citrus Bowl, 45-17. It just seems like it's just been like, you know, decades and decades ago since Tennessee and Alabama both were good at the same time, you know, and now they finally are again. Both of them are. And it's just a really exciting time. And, you know, I'm I'm happy for Tennessee. I'm I'm so glad that they finally come this far and hopefully they can keep going and everything. Brad, the last time that Tennessee and Alabama were both ranked in the top 10, you want to take a guess of the year? 1980-something. <laughs> yeah. 1999. It was the year before. Okay. All right. All it right. was the year before we started doing the Up All Night Show. Okay. Okay. That's how long it's been since Tennessee and Alabama were both in the top 10. And now mm. they get to be in the top 10. It's it's the biggest game in 20 years, Brad. I'm just going to come out and say oh, for, ten- for Tennessee. I think this is the biggest home game for the Tennessee Volunteers in 20 years. Yes. Yes. This is the – this is really, yeah, the, uh, the the biggest game in Knoxville, the biggest game that they've ever had, you know, I would say. I mean, it, it could be close to, you know, when, you know, when they did play California. I, I believe it was back in 2005, and I think California was like number three or something like that. But anyway, yeah, this is the biggest SEC game of the year by far. There's a lot of excitement going into this game, and, and, and I'm glad that it's finally shaping up to the game that we thought it would be. You know, the, the SEC game on CBS, I think there should be a flex scheduling they should come out immediately. And they made the Texas A&M Alabama game the primetime game. If there's a contract where they're only allowed to do one primetime game per year, they mm-hmm. need to do flex scheduling and they need to make this Tennessee Alabama game in primetime. I agree. Eight thirty yeah. kickoff. Yeah. Oh yeah. There, there's nothing like needling at night. And yeah, I mean, I mean for sure. I mean, what a hey, a crazy game last Saturday. Uh, you know, between uh, Alabama and Texas A&M, um, uh, for sure. And, you know, like, like you said, yeah, whenever Tennessee and Alabama gets together, you know, it's always a lot of uh, excitement and uh, a lot a lot of crazy fans going at it. And it's going to continue, uh, for sure. I thought about uh, that. And, and the SEC, you know, 
probably just look out for. I know they're not really making any noise in the rankings, but that's Missouri, you know. And um, the way that Missouri played Georgia, you know, in Columbia, almost beating Georgia there. And then um, they only lost to Florida by a touchdown. This Missouri team could be very scary. And, and when they come to Knoxville, you know, Tennessee definitely needs to look out for Missouri because, you know, in, in times past, you know, Missouri has given them trouble um, sometimes. But um, the defense that Missouri has is, is really good. You know, because they kept on getting <laughs> the stats of being it, um, you know, when uh, when Georgia played them and everything. Um, but this this Missouri team outset some teams. So that's maybe one one team in the SEC, uh, you know, that 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 could surprise them. and maybe Mississippi State, you know, they you know, you know, they might get on a run, too, uh, you know, because they beat Arkansas. And uh, those teams right there could definitely make a Matt rule. Is the first NFL coach that's fired this season after Carolina goes one and four. I mean, he had Baker Mayfield as his quarterback. They got drubbed by the 49ers. Yeah. And I think that Matt Rule will go back to college. There's a lot of openings, including Arizona State, Nebraska, <laughs> Wisconsin, Georgia Tech. Auburn. Although, yeah. Well, <laughs> well they, they haven't fired Brian Harson yet. I know, I know, I know, I know. If but, they yeah. do, if they do, do you see <laughs> Matt Rule going to Auburn? I like it. I mean, I mean, it's very possible, <laughs> very possible. You know, if if they do go that route, um, but yeah, as it's been, it's just been a really um, surprise what Auburn's going through. I guess you know, I mean, I didn't expect them to do this bad uh, so far. I mean, I mean, really, um, I didn't know really what to expect with Harson and everything, but. You know they've they've really had a really really um, a tough tough year so far. Oh, I, Matt Rule is a great college football coach. Look at what he did with the turnaround to Baylor. It just didn't work mm-hmm. out in the NFL. Not every right. college coach can work out in the NFL. It didn't work out for Steve Spurrier. It didn't it work didn't out work with out Nick Saban. Nick exactly. Saban. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work out for Saban for sure. Right. Or right. Chip Kelly. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Don't, yeah, don't remind me about Chip Kelly and his disaster with the 49ers when they went 2-14. and 14. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, man. Brad, I got to ask you, college football, the whole landscape of college football, you saw Texas embarrass Oklahoma 49 to nothing. UCLA is 6-0. and Oklahoma State is 5-0. and Out of all these undefeated teams, I'm going to say – the ones that are not in the top 10. TCU is 5 and 0. You got Syracuse 5 and 0. James Madison. Who thought this? <laughs> in, in their first year in the FBS, James Madison is 5 and 0 and they are ranked in the top 25. So out of all these undefeated teams that are outside of the top 10, which team has a shot at finishing the season undefeated? And going to a New Year Six game, I'm thinking here. <laughs> you could just say James Madison. It's okay. Yeah, it's that it's, would a, be it's amazing a, if they do. Yeah, I mean, I'd be all for it if if if, if uh, James Madison can make it. I mean, that's. I mean, it's kind of like a March Madness there, sort of. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's. I'm going to say that James yeah. Madison is going to go undefeated. And okay. They because th- they have an easy schedule. They're in the Sun Belt. They all their tough games are out of the way. I think James right. Madison goes undefeated. And if they can get into the top, I want to say 16, don't they get that automatic qualifier for the New Year's Six bowl game? Top 16? I think they um, do. I'll have to look at the rule book. Yeah. Very possible. Very possible. Um, but my dark horse team to make the college football playoff is Oklahoma state, especially if they go undefeated and they win the big 12 they're in. But what about the winner of UCLA and USC? If they're both undefeated and they, well, the way the PAC 12 is structured this year in the PAC 12 championship, it's not the North and South division anymore. It's the top two teams. So if USC and UCLA are both undefeated and when they play each other, they'll probably play each other again. So that is going to be interesting. I don't see mm-hmm. UCLA beating USC twice. 
So I think USC would have to beat UCLA twice. And I think that USC has to go undefeated to make it into the college football playoff. Well, same with Tennessee. If they're going to be in the college football playoff, they're going to go undefeated. They're going to especially beat Alabama and Georgia and either beat Alabama in the ACC championship uh, again if if they do make it there. So, yeah, this is one of those situations where you just have to run the table, you know, to have a best shot of, of getting into the playoffs. You know. Brad, let's switch gears to the National Football League because your Tennessee Titans have won three straight games. They are three and two. I know that, you know, they started off 0-2 after that Monday night game, losing to the Buffalo Bills 41-7. to It seemed like the season was lost. But they beat the Raiders at home. They beat the Colts on the road, and they beat the Washington Commanders when Carson Wentz threw an interception in the back of the end zone. They're doing it with Derrick Henry. They're not asking Ryan Tannehill to do a lot. What do you think of the Titans and rattling off three straight wins? And now with Jacksonville reeling, Indianapolis, they're kind of hovering at 500. And with Houston, can the Titans pull away and win this division? Um, it's still possible for sure. If, if Henry keeps it up, like he, uh, you know, is still, you know, getting a lot of production that he's been doing lately. I think it all comes down to the offensive line because, you know, T- Taylor Wan is out for the season and they're still trying to shuffle around, you know, pieces to, to make that offensive line go and everything. But, uh, the, the pass protection has been pretty, pretty bad. You know, I, I don't know how many sacks, you know, Washington had in that game, I say about five, maybe five or, or, or four sacks. Um, so they definitely got to give Tanhill a lot more time. But but Henry is is getting the carries, you know, um, to, you know, to be very efficient. But, but they got to get Traylon Burks back. Um, you know, uh, Robert Woods still still needs to play. Um, uh, great. Um, they're um, still. Relying on their defense, you know, you know, to get through a, a lot of these games, as you saw, the defense did win this game uh, from for Sunday. So I, I think it really uh, depends on the offensive line and if the secondary, de- definitely the secondary has to play uh, strong. And yeah, they definitely got, you know, a, a still great chance to win that division. I think the Titans' defensive line has stepped up, especially defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, Danico Autry on the line. He's leading the team with four sacks. And then linebacker Rashad Weaver also leading the team with four sacks. They've been getting pressure to the quarterback. I think that this Titans defense is very underrated, and I'll tell you why. It's because of their defensive assistant, Jim Schwartz. He used to be the defensive coordinator. He was the Eagles defensive coordinator, the former head coach for the Detroit Lions. Having somebody like that on the staff, has really given this team some confidence. And Mike Ravel is a defensive coach. You have Shane Bowen, who is the defensive coordinator. This defense is what's going to carry this Titans team as they get ready to take on the Indianapolis Colts for the second time this season. No, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the way the Titans are built, it's not a high-powered offense like, you know, like uh, Tennessee Volunteers or whatever. I mean, you know, you, you know, they're built off the running game and they're built off a strong defense. Our teams that are have always been built off of you know a strong running game, but also their their strong defensive line and everything. They're not a high powered offense like the Tennessee Volunteers, but yeah, they're, that's what they're known for: just really pounding the ball and you know just it's making great defensive plays and everything. And hopefully they can keep it up. All right, Brad, let's switch gears. Let's talk about NBA basketball because the Memphis Grizzlies are taking on the New York Knicks. This is going to be a televised game next week, October the 19th, Wednesday on ESPN. They're hosting the New York Knicks at the FedEx Forum. I'm excited about this lineup, the same lineup that went to the second round of the playoffs, unfortunately fell to the Gold State Warriors. You always play the what-if game. What if John Moran didn't get hurt? But John Moran is back. He averaged 27 points last year. Desmond Bain as a shooting guard. You have depth on this team. I think that even though they got Jake LaRivia, they got Brandon Clark, Santi Almadada is going to be your starting power forward. Dylan Brooks, 
as your small forward. Zaire Williams coming off the bench. Steven Adams in the middle. I mean, this team looks stacked. The team is centered around John Morant. This team is going to get better because of the depth they have. How far can the Memphis Grizzlies go under head coach Taylor Jenkins? And what do you think the expectations are for the Memphis Grizzlies? Can they actually get further than the second round of the NBA playoffs? And where is the ceiling for this Grizzlies team? I mean, can they win an NBA title? They can. I do believe they have the squad. This young nucleus, that can definitely get to the finals. But everybody has to stay healthy. They're going to get uh, Jaron Jackson back, hopefully uh, late, later during the year, might be November or so. So, you know, let's see how they do without him and everything. Let's see how uh, Joe Moran continues to grow on and off the court. Hopefully he'll uh, grow off the court because you know how cocky he can be and everything. But he, he's such a phenomenal player, and, and uh, I know he's going to get, you know, definitely all his uh, – Teammates involved, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman. I definitely see them making it to the Western Conference Finals at least. And hopefully, uh, hopefully the you know, the NBA finals. I'm excited about the Memphis Grizzlies this season, taking on the New York Knicks on Wednesday, October the nineteenth. I can't believe the NBA season's already here, Brad. I, I yeah. know that, that that we are excited about that. But let's talk about Major League Baseball because, unfortunately, your Cardinals fell to the Phillies in two games. The Cardinals had the home field advantage. I'm not sure what happened there, Brad. I mean, I know that the Cardinals are known for excellence in the postseason. They finished 93-69. and Albert Pujols, in just an incredible year, he had 24 home runs. I mean, Albert Pujols, he hit 703 home runs. So, yeah, yeah. If you look at his home run totals, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, lo- I'm looking at his home run totals. Uh, the last time he hit 20 home runs was 2019. So he had 12 last year. He, he got traded to the Dodgers in 2021. He hit 17 home runs. He hit five with the Angels and 12 with the Dodgers. Okay, so 2020, the COVID year, I mean, he only played 39 games. He only hit six home runs. Right. But before that, I mean, the last time he hit 30 was in 2016, so he was a shell of himself. So the fact that he batted 270, hit 24 home runs, and 68 runs batted in, you got to thank the National League for bringing the DH over because it helped resurrect Albert Pujols' career to where he could play to age 42, reach that incredible milestone of 703 home runs. However... His magic and the Cardinals' magic ended in the postseason when they lost to the Phillies in two games. Yeah, this could really get the bats going. I mean, definitely. Um, honestly, don't know what happened there um, because you know you you think yeah they had a great season all you know leading the Central for for a long time, but uh, they they just can really get the the bats going and. Um, I'm just happy for a pool host. You know, I'm happy for the career that he had. Um, it's just a, a, a phenomenal way, you know, you know, to go out like he did, you know, to finish his career in St. Louis where he started. And I'm glad he was able to um, just have a phenomenal season that he did. And I'm, I'm very happy for Molina and, and, and Wayne Wright as well. I mean, I mean, both three players uh, really meant a lot, you know, for St. Louis and um, I mean, rest to see what, you know, what they'll do after, you know, their, their career and everything. Or I'm proud of the way, but those players uh, did have a great career there. Brad, like yeah. you said, not the way the Cardinals season wanted to end. In fact, I thought they were going to take game one. They, mm-hmm. they're up to nothing in, in the top of the ninth and the Phillies end up piling on six runs. I mean, mm-hmm. and then yeah. Aaron Nola shuts the door for the Phillies and they win two nothing. And, you know, in a best of three series, you lose game one. It is hard to get out of that hole. I mean, yeah, just, it is. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I do like the new format. I do like it, you know, but, but like you said, it, it is, is very tough once you lose that first game, you know, you know, cause you know, you have to win that second game and everything. And it's very tough. 
for sure. It does put a lot of pressure on that home team to try to get that victory if you lose game one. Uh, the Mets. I mean, look at the Mets. They lose in three to the San Diego Padres. Huge upset. Now that the Padres have to play the Dodgers, the Phillies will play the Braves. Over in the American League, the Mariners getting their first playoff series win in uh, back when Tennessee was relevant. Uh, 2001 was the last time the Mariners back actually – um, The Mariners – well, well, we're, we're right after the Cubs, you know, the – Diamond that's, Jacks, you know, that's we're, right. you know, we're with the Mariners. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that time, you know, the double A affiliate West Tennessee Diamond Jacks, that is West Tennessee Diamond Jacks, you know, they were affiliated with the Mariners for a while after the Cubs. I mean, I think they went to the Diamondbacks for a while, but um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm happy for the Mariners because, you know, I mean, I do have the ties of air, you know, being, being familiar with the Diamond Jacks and, and a lot of players, you know, did go to the Mariners from that system. But um, it's exciting to see, you know, some um, some new teams besides the Yankees or or Dodgers or, you know, advancing the postseason and everything. Some of the storylines, you have the Mariners taking on the Astros. The Astros went to the World Series last year. They now have Justin Verlander. You have the Cleveland Guardians taking on the New York Yankees. It is not a foregone conclusion. It's going to be the Yankees and Astros in the ALCS. Right. I, I would like to see the Cleveland Guardians get back to the World Series. They went to the World Series in 2016. They were so close <laughs> to winning their first World Series since 1947. But the Cubs actually broke the curse before Yeah. the, the Cleveland yeah. baseball. We're going to call them the Cleveland baseball team. They weren't called the Guardians in 2016, but we're going to go with the Cleveland baseball team. That, right, right. That they had an opportunity. Rajay Davis, I remember that was an incredible game seven. LeBron was up in the press box. Yep. And yep. It, he was trying to root for the Cleveland baseball team to win a World Series. Uh, so many great storylines. Braves and Phillies, a rematch of the 1993 NLCS. Mm-hmm. That Phillies team that went to the World Series. Mitch Williams. John, John Crook, Crook yeah, 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 Lenny yeah. Dykstra, Darren Dalton. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just a team full of misfits, and they went to the World Series. Of course, the Phillies, the last time they were in the playoffs, they had sort of a dynasty going. They had Jimmy Rollins and Ron Howard, Howard and Chase Utley. And mm-hmm. That right. team that won the World Series in 2008 when Cole Hamels was dominant. And right. then they get, they get back to the World Series in 2009. They lose in 2010 to the Giants in the NLCS. And then dynasty over. They uh, didn't make the postseason up until now. So a lot of momentum. The Phillies beating the Cardinals is giving them momentum. And plus, they're familiar with the Braves because they play the Braves often. And so this is going to be a very intriguing series. And uh, who do you think is going to represent the NL and the AL in the World Series? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Phillies could get hot. You know, they could be one of those teams that get – you know that that's getting hot at the right time. You know, but um, I think it, I think it's going to be the Braves, and I'm going to say, um, probably the Yankees. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Padres, you know, also, um, you know, make a run as well. But I would say probably the the, the Braves and Yankees in the World Series. Boy, Brad, you've made a lot of people in Georgia happy with that pick (laughs) for the World Series. And it it would be intriguing. I know we saw it in 96. We saw it in 99. Yeah. I mean, they they both were the teams of the 90s. Right. Um, But, uh, yeah, you know, no one wants to see the Braves and Astros again. No one wants to see the Dodgers and Astros. We already (laughs) saw that in 2017. In fact, Dodgers fans are – saying like th- that World Series should be with an asterisk and we, they should have right. given us the World Series title because of the Astros cheating scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yankees and Dodgers, oh, that would that would just break my heart. That would be like a Seahawks-Patriots Super Bowl. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I would just be like, no, I'm di- yeah, I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> I, wouldn't be, I would not be watching that World Series. Um, but pa- Padres are an up-and-coming team. I, I wouldn't yeah. like to see the Padres do well. If it's like the Padres and Mariners, I'd be pretty, you know, I mean, it'd be, yes, you know, it'd be very interesting because, you know, two, two teams out of nowhere, you know, just, you know, just battling it out. I mean, a lot of people be, you know, sad to see that, I'm sure, you know. 
I am looking forward to the baseball season. As always, this has really been fun just having you on the show. Would like to get you back on more to talk about Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans, and the Memphis Grizzlies. As always, Brad, it's been a pleasure just having you on the show. And uh, hope you have fun watching that Tennessee-Alabama no, game. I'm, 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 I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hope, yeah. hope it'll be a great game. I mean, I mean, I know it's going to be a great game. I just, I just hope the outcome's going to be great. But I, I just know Tennessee's going to compete. I mean, this, this ain't going to be just a blowout win by Alabama. I mean, it probably come down to the last play, kind of like what we saw with Texas A&M and Alabama. Whoever the quarterback is, if it is Bryce Young or Milrow, I mean, I know Tennessee's going to be ready for them, and um, I think, I think it's going to be a great game no matter what. And I'm I'm excited and uh, looking forward to it as as uh, as everybody is I'm sure. I think that Tennessee they're going to pack Neyland Stadium with over 110,000 fans. They need to do the checkered end zones and the smoky gray uniforms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you know a lot of people don't like the you know the smoky gray, but I mean I do. I mean it's it's definitely a, a different take to the regular orange and white. I mean I mean I love them in orange and white, but the smoky gray always looks good. But no matter what uniform they're wearing, I just hope they beat Alabama honestly. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and and honestly, uh, I mean it it can happen. You know for, for this this year, a lot of Tennessee fans, me myself included, really believe that they can do it finally. After so long, and hopefully it will happen, but we will see how it goes and everything. Well, good luck Saturday. And as always, that is Brad Page, my former co-host from the Up All Night show back in the early 2000s, same time that Tennessee was relevant, but they're back now. And so we're very (laughs) excited about the Tennessee Volunteers. Brad, thank you so much for being on the show. No problem, Richard. Um, Always excited to be on here and uh, go Vols. Go Vols. That was Brad Page. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to another episode of the podcast. Don't forget, you can download the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for tomorrow's episode as I'm going to have Justin Dale on the show as we're going to talk everything Georgia sports. I hope everybody has a great rest of your day, and we out of here. Bye. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.